listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. We're going to be reading from Psalms 128 this morning. If you do not have a Bible, uh, go ahead and raise your hand and... uh, Someone will bring one to you here in a second. If you do not actually own a Bible, feel free to keep that copy. It is Sojourn's gift to you. Uh, When everyone is ready, if you don't mind standing, please. And follow along as I read aloud. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to gather with you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't had the chance to meet you, we'd love uh, to be able to do so after the service today. But as we get ready to open up and and walk through Psalm 128, let's pray and and ask the Lord to bless our time in his words. Would you pray with me? God, this morning we are grateful to gather together today. And this morning, I just want to pray a, a simple but profound prayer this morning. I pray, God, that as your word is preached this morning, as your word goes out, that it would not return void. God, I pray that you do a work this morning in our hearts and lives as we receive your word today. God, may we behold your greatness and glory today. And may that impact our lives as we walk out of this place into the week ahead, whatever comes our way. God, we pray that this morning you would be exalted. And as you're exalted this morning, that you would be exalted in our lives, in the everyday moments. So God, we give you thanks that we get to be together this morning. We thank you for the grace that it is, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work this morning for your glory and our good. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Recently, uh, my family and I were driving somewhere. I can't remember where we were going, but we pulled up to an intersection, and there was a car sitting kind of to the side of the intersection with its flashers on. I wasn't quite sure what was going on, the driver was still sitting in the front seat. But as we pulled up closer to the car, I realized why the driver was stopped there. He was looking at a map, like a paper map. Yeah, right? And my kids were like, what is he doing? I was like, he's looking at a map. And they were like, what's that? Like, they have no concept over what a paper map actually is. I mean, I remember having to print off MapQuest directions to try and go somewhere. Uh, and that seems like a long time ago. In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't that long ago. But now most of us just punch our directions where we want to go into our phone, and we have a little voice that tells us when to turn left or to go straight or what exit to get off of. I mean, GPSs are great most of the time, and sometimes they do weird things. There's been times where the GPS is telling me to go a certain direction, and I think it's wrong. And so I'm in that moment, do I listen to what the GPS is telling me, or do I try and go my own way, create my own path in the way that I think I should go? And Sometimes I've listened to myself and gone that way, and sometimes I've listened to the GPS, and sometimes I'm wrong, and sometimes the GPS is wrong. But 
no matter what, GPSs, they aren't perfect, but they are extremely helpful for us, especially in when we need to go from point A to point B when we find ourselves in an unfamiliar place. We don't know exactly where we're going. Well, a few weeks ago, we started our summer sermon series called Songs for Sojourning, and we're spending the summer walking through the Psalms of Ascent. And the Psalms of Ascent were psalms and uh, songs that were sung and recited by God's people as they journeyed to the temple several times a year. And, and God's people have, have recited these psalms over and over again for hundreds of years, for thousands of years as they go and worship the Lord. And these songs are still important for us today. They're still relevant for our lives today because all of us are on a spiritual journey. So as we come to our next psalm this morning, we see that while we're on this journey, what's true for all of us is that we still need guidance, we still need direction in our lives in order for us to get to where we need to go. But unlike a GPS, God provides guidance that is always uh, 100% accurate. God's ways and his will are always perfect, which means that we should always listen to them. And so my hope this morning is that by looking at Psalm 128, that we will be exhorted by God's word through the work of the Holy Spirit to walk in his ways, to walk in the ways of the Lord, and that by doing so, we will see the blessing that comes when we do. Now, if you're already following Jesus, my hope for you this morning is that God will use his word to encourage you to continue to run the race that's laid out before you with faithfulness. And if you don't yet know Jesus, we're grateful that God's brought you to gather with us this morning. My hope for you is that you will see the grace of God that's offered to you in our time in his word this morning and that you will join us as we journey to Jesus. So let's jump into Psalm 128 this morning and may God bless the preaching of his word. Now we've walked through several psalms already during this sermon series and they've been different kinds of psalms. There's been some Psalms of lament, some psalms of longing, but the psalm we come to today is really more of a psalm of wisdom. And verse 1 serves as the main thesis statement of the psalm. Look at verse 1 again. The psalmist writes, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now this is a statement of truth for God's people. It says for everyone, so men and women, children and older adults, anywhere in between, everyone is included in this. He, speaking this truthful statement to them, and within it are two important themes that we need to pay attention to. The first one is blessing. To be blessed is to be happy or to be satisfied. Like we said last week when we were talking about joy, this isn't kind of some surface level happiness. It isn't the idea of kind of having good luck or, or having a good day. When we talk about biblical blessing, blessing that comes from God, it's an it's a inner strength of the soul and the depths of who we are and the happiness that it creates in our life as we find ourselves satisfied in who God is. Now, blessing is all over the scriptures. And it's all over the scriptures because God is a God of blessing. He desires to do good for his people because he is good and he is faithful and he's full of loving kindness towards his creation. But something we need to understand, and something we see within this psalm, is that blessing or being blessed is not some amorphous feeling, some disconnected reality. It's always rooted to something. It's always tied to something. In this case, it's tied to fear of the Lord. The psalmist says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord. 
Now, maybe you've never read the Bible before, or you don't call yourself a follower of Christ, and so you're not exactly sure what it means to really be a Christian. And so when you hear a phrase like fear of the Lord, it might sound strange to you. Like, what in the world is that about? I don't, that doesn't sound particularly good to me. And that's okay if that's where you find yourself this morning. Because the reality is, even for those of us that call ourselves Christians, we can hear this phrase, fear of the Lord, and it can sound strange to us too. A lot of times I think we have misconceptions over what it means to fear God. So what exactly does this phrase, fear of the Lord, mean? Well, what comes into your mind when you think fear? I think for most of us, we think of being afraid of something. Like, I'm afraid of spiders, or I'm afraid of the dark, or thanks to social media, there's a fear of missing out on different things that are going on in life. But when it comes to fearing God, it isn't fear in the sense of being afraid of something like spiders or the dark. It's the idea of fearing the Lord is more of of what you think when you behold something magnificent, when you behold something glorious, and it literally takes your breath away, like you... That's, that's amazing when you see a beautiful sunset or you look out over a, a beautiful mountain range or the vastness of the ocean and it takes your breath away. That's this idea of your smallness before something great and glorious. Pastor and rapper Shai Lin says that the fear of the Lord is to stand in awe before the reality of God. The fear of the Lord is to stand in awe before the reality of God. How do we know who God is? Psalm 19.1 says that the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That you and I can go outside today and we can look around at creation and see the greatness of the God who made it in his creation. But that isn't enough for us to know about God's character, about the nature of who God is. But God in his grace has revealed himself to us in his word. He's given us his word to tell us more about who he is And in his word, he tells us so much about his character and and nature. And he has so many amazing characteristics. But this morning, I want to focus on two or three because they very much relate to our fear of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very beginning of the Bible begins with God. It says, in the beginning, God. And it goes through this long list of God creating everything out of nothing. It starts from him, and he is the source of everything that has come into existence. Psalm 104 verse 5 says, He, meaning God, set the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved. God holds all of creation together. Everything about it is in his hands. He is over everything and around everything and keeps everything together. He's in control. He is the sovereign king over his creation. In Isaiah chapter 66 verses 1 and 2, it says this, Thus says the Lord, God speaking to us. He says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. And so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. We see God's greatness in that. He's declaring the fact that he has made everything out of nothing and that he is the Lord over his creation. We see his transcendence, his separateness, his power in who he is. But then right after that in Isaiah 66 verse 2, he says, but this is the one whom I will look. He who is humble, and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. We have a picture of God's greatness in his creation, his transcendence, yet here his eminence as well, that God is near to those who are humble and contrite in heart. Then we come to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, you can flip over there if you'd like. In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah has this vision 
when he sees the Lord. I'm just going to read it for us. Listen to this experience that Isaiah has. Whether you've heard this a million times or this is the first time you've heard this story, this picture of God's greatness. Isaiah says, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, those are angels. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one angel called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, Woe is me. For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah comes into this experience where he sees God and all of his greatness, his glory fills the temple up, and he's undone by it. He's wrecked by it when he beholds the greatness of God. Now I can be amazed at another person. I could be amazed at the beautiful singing voice someone has. I could be amazed at the ability someone has to to speak publicly, to get up in front of people and communicate. I could be amazed at someone's brilliant mind or their ability to create with their hands. I could be amazed at someone's ability to calculate numbers or cook an amazing meal. I could be amazed by someone who's, who's able to understand complex concepts or hit a baseball that's being thrown at them at 95 miles an hour or hit a golf ball straight 300, 400 yards down the fairway. I can be amazed by that. But at the end of the day, I'm just looking at another image bearer of God, another human being. But when I truly behold God himself in all his glory, as he's revealed himself in his creation, as he's revealed himself through his word, I can't help but stand in awe of him. Because it's in that moment that I recognize something and acknowledge something that is absolutely foundational for my life. I am not God, and there is no one like him. And it's an undoing, terrifying reality when we behold God for who he truly is. Not because God's mean-spirited, but because God's holiness and his perfection is blinding. And in it, just like Isaiah, we recognize that we do not measure up to that. See, the fear of the Lord isn't a scare tactic. It's an acknowledgement of the grandeur and greatness of God. Fear of the Lord is about reverence for God because of who he is. Now sometimes you can try and get a good understanding of all that, but it still can sound theoretical for us. Like, okay, I I can get the concept of the fear of the Lord, but how do I actually live that out in my life? Well, thankfully, the psalmist helps us in the next phrase. He says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Listen, the way that you can most regularly and specifically live a life of fearing the Lord is by walking in his ways. You display reverence for God through your obedience to God. And this is where we need to understand something crucial for our lives. And this is important whether you're a follower of Christ or not. Obedience, obedience to God isn't simply about doing the the things that God tells you to do. Like that God just gives you a long list of check boxes and says you better do all of these things. That's not the heart of obedience. Obedience is about doing the things God made you to do that he created you to do, to walk in his good ways. 
And this is why those who fear the Lord are blessed. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. In other words, they're blessed. They're blessed. Proverbs, the author of Proverbs goes on to say, He will not be visited by harm when you find rest through fearing God. See, God made you and I to flourish in his good creation, to flourish in his good creation under his kind and kingly rule. So that means God's commands are not suggestions for your life. They're not pro tips of how to live a successful life that you can decide if you want to accept or reject based off your preferences and your plans for your own life. No, they are a matter of life and death. All of God's commands are for your good and for your joy. And when you recognize who God truly is, it stops you in your tracks as you come into his presence, listening to his life-giving words. Why? Why does it cause you to have your breath taken away when you behold his greatness? Because when you see God as a sovereign king whose rule and reign is for your good, then and only then can you thrive then and only then will you be blessed. And that's exactly what the psalmist illustrates in these next two verses. Look at verses 2 and 3 again. He says, You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Now these verses in particular thrive off of understanding the context of this psalm to its original audience. A blessed farm and family would have been central to the fruitful life in ancient Israel. Now I don't think any of us in here are farmers, and not all of us are married or have families, so what are we to take away from this? We need to remember something about God's Word. God's Word transcends time. And so that means that there is certainly something in this for all of us to learn from no matter where you find yourself in life right now, no matter what's going on, what life stage you happen to be in. So verse 2, while it's specific to farming, it teaches us something more foundational about work, whatever your vocation currently is. Vocation is what you do with your time during the day. So whether you're a student right now, whether you stay home with your kids and that your work is primarily in the home, whether you go to the marketplace every day and you leave your home, whatever your vocation happens to be right now in this moment, there's something for us to learn about that within this verse. In verse 2, the author, is what he's doing is he's describing the blessing of work. I'll just ask you straight up, like, do you see work as a blessing in your life? And what he says is a matter-of-fact statement. He says you will be provided by the hard work you do. That's not a hard concept for us to understand. Like, we go to work, we get paid to do that for most of us. Sometimes we volunteer our time, and when we work in our homes with our families, we don't necessarily get paid for that, though the value of that is uncalculable. Is that a word? But we get the concept, right, that we get something for our work. But that isn't exactly what he's talking about here. He's saying it isn't just about doing hard work and getting paid for that. It's about doing work with the fear of God in mind doing work, seeking to walk in his ways in mind. So you need need to recognize something. We need to remember something. God empowers you to be able to do good work. 
God empowers you to be able to do what he's called you to do as his image bearer, that you're called to cultivate and develop like he does. So what that means is, is that all of your work, when, when it's viewed in light of this ultimate reality, is ultimately for God's glory. It doesn't matter what your vocation happens to be, how boring or mundane your work is, how at times it may seem meaningless or seem like you're changing all kinds of things. There's opportunity for you to glorify God in the midst of doing your work. So much of our work culture here in the D.C. metro area is rooted in pride. It's rooted in this sense of independence, of being self-made, like I got myself here. And we're tempted in those moments to find our identity and value in what we do. We compare ourselves to others. You see, when we understand that everything that we are able to do is actually a gift from the Lord, instead of bringing about pride and independence, it should actually invoke humility and more dependence, more reliance on God who enables us to do the work in the first place. What that means is, is that your work isn't your identity, but it flows out of your identity. As an image bearer of God, who has called you to live in the fear of the King Creator who made you and sustains you. So God is not separate from your work. He is very much in the midst of your work as you strive to walk in His ways. I hope that's encouraging for some of you this morning, even challenging for you as you view work. Do you view it as an opportunity to walk in the fear of the Lord, to proclaim His glory, to live and work for His glory? But let's not miss that our walking in the fear of the Lord in our work is not just to exalt God. The author tells us that when we do, that you will be blessed and it shall be well with you. What he's saying is simply that generally things turn out better for you when you seek to walk in obedience to your God and King. Now that doesn't mean that there won't be difficulty in your life or difficulty in work. There won't be struggles or challenges. Genesis chapter 3 tells us that your work is going to be hard. Whatever it is that you do, it's going to be difficult. It's part of the consequences of our sin and rebellion. But I hope that we can remember that though Genesis 3 tells us that your work is going to be hard, God created us to work before sin entered into the world. Which means there's an aspect of our work that's redemptive. It's an opportunity for us to glorify God. So that means that we can work with the fear of the Lord in mind, striving to walk in his ways by, again, focusing on the ultimate purpose of our work, that we are there to glorify God in all that we do. Then the psalmist shifts to the family. In verse chapter 3, he brings the family in, and he comments specifically on the wife and children. Again, context is important here. During this time when this psalm was written, men were the primary workers outside of the home. Though we learned a few weeks ago from Proverbs 31 that that's not exclusive, that women are not excluded from that possibility. But what he's saying here is that when you fear the Lord and walk in his ways, if you're a married man, your wife will be like a fruitful vine in your house. What does that mean? It means that she's going to bring joy into your life and home like wine that gladdens the heart and will be fruitful and bear children, have, be the mother of your children, whether biologically or through adoption. And then he goes on and talks about children. He says, and your children will be like olive shoots around your table. This is a picture of children who are full of energy and promise and potential. Moms and dads, do you see your kids that way? And all their energy is a good reminder for me. I've got a couple of energetic ones in my house. Do I see that energy as a good thing? Full of potential, full of promise for what God might do in their lives. 
But what's the connection of this to verse 1? It can kind of seem isolated. Well, this is not a prosperity gospel promise, which would be a false gospel promise, saying if you fear the Lord, then God's going to hook you up, allow you to get married, allow you to have kids. I know some of you here this morning desire to get married. That's a good desire. Some of you desire to have children. That's a good desire. This isn't saying, well, just try and walk in the fear of the Lord, and then God's going to hook you up. What he's trying to communicate to us is really important for us to understand, though. He's making a promise that the family flourishes when it's led to fear God and walk in his ways. In this particular example of blessing, the results that come from the fear of the Lord, the husbands and fathers play an important role. And so if that's you, or one day you hope that it's you, listen, God has given you and gifted you. He's given you and gifted you with a great privilege and responsibility. So men, are you pursuing your God? Are you striving to live a reverent, worshipful, obedient life before him? If someone were to ask your wife right now, does your husband fear the Lord? what would her honest answer be? And if the answer is no, I encourage you, brothers, to repent, to turn again to your God and walk in his ways. And this is a challenge for me. I I certainly do not always get this right and make tons of mistakes along the way as a husband and as a father. But one of the most convicting things for me this week in studying this text and and reading it and applying, seeking to apply it to my own life is not just the fact that God has called me to be a servant leader within my home, but the fact that my posture and my pursuit before my holy God affects my family, not just me. Guys in the room that aren't yet married but desire to be, my encouragement to you this morning is not to think this is irrelevant for your life because you don't have a wife and you don't have kids right now. My encouragement to you is to see it as very applicable to your life. That if you desire those things, that right now what you would focus on is walking in the ways of the Lord, fearing God. Ladies in the room who aren't yet married, but desire to be. My encouragement to you this morning is not to to check out from this and say this doesn't apply to me. It very much applies to you. If you desire to be married, look for this kind of guy. One who right now is fearing the Lord, not who has potential to down the road. Listen, if you want to thrive in life, whether in your work or in your family, whatever your family dynamics look like now or will look like in the future, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord and walk in his ways. The author then makes this concluding statement and ends this psalm with a benediction. He says, Behold, thus the man shall be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. He's making this pronouncement over the people of God, both as individuals, but ultimately in a way that affects the people of God as a collective whole. See, we need to recognize something. When you strive by God's grace towards obedience, it leads to peace in your life and prosperity. Not in the sense that God's just going to hook you up with more stuff, but in the sense that if you walk in his ways, that it'll generally go well for you. It's okay to prosper. It's okay to have resources and blessing that come from God in a material way, but that's not the goal of your life. And so he is pronouncing this blessing over them, hoping that God will bless them in this way. But as he does that, it blesses them personally so they can be a blessing to their community. 
They serve and love their brothers and sisters and serve the greater, larger community of the commonwealth of Israel, the commonwealth of God's people. See, verse 5 and 6, it's a benediction. It's a blessing for the road. Saying, I want this to be true for you. This is for sojourners. People who are on a journey in a place that is not their home. It was for God's people then. It's for God's people now. Brothers and sisters, there's so much for us in Psalm 128. No matter what your life stage is right now, where you find yourself or where you're at on your spiritual journey. Because no matter where we're at, all of us live in a world that was designed by God for us to live in as we follow him. As one pastor puts it, the structure of this world was created by God so we can live in it easily and happily as his children. Those who fear him and walk in his ways. But there's a problem. God is the sovereign creator of all things, the king over his creation, but we've rebelled against him. We've sought to go our own way. We haven't listened to him. Just like we ignore a GPS from time to time, we've often ignored God. And so now the world we live in and all its brokenness and all of its distractions is a product not created out there by someone else. It's a product of the culture that we've created through our own rebellion. And do you know what the rebellion is rooted in? Listen to God's word. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Paul writes this, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And here's his commentary on culture. He says their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. Why? He gives us the answer in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Every evil in this world and every aspect of evil within our own flesh, within our own hearts and our own minds is rooted in and can be traced back to not fearing the Lord. We have a, an awe problem. The fact that we lack awe of who God is. We're quick to dismiss him. Remember, fearing the Lord leads to life and blessing, so that means that not fearing the Lord leads to death. So every road that you travel down in this life, every road you travel down in this life that isn't in concert with the ways and will of God is a road to nowhere. And we can sometimes have this I'll do it myself mentality, thinking we're self-made and self-sufficient. But we need to recognize, and what Psalm 128 reminds us of, is that we weren't created to do it ourselves. And that's our problem. In an effort to be independent and free, we only enslave ourselves further. But friends, there's good news this morning. There's good news because there is a way to experience real freedom in real life and to actually walk in the fear of the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 11, there's a promise made to God's people of a coming king. A king who will reign and redeem and restore. And in verse 3, this is what it says about him and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. The Savior King is none other than Jesus Christ. Jesus, the very Son of God who came to dwell among us, taking on our humanity in the form of a servant. Jesus modeled what a life of fearing the Lord looks like. He walked in the ways of God perfectly and joyfully. And then he provided a way of rescue for us. 
Because each of us have not feared the Lord, because each of us have not walked in his ways, we deserve the full and eternal wrath of God. But Jesus went to the cross and he died in the place of sinners like you and me as our substitute, bearing the righteous wrath of God that we deserve because of our rebellion. And Jesus rose again from the grave victorious, defeating our sin and the death that we deserve. And so when you acknowledge your rebellion, when you acknowledge the fact that you have not feared the Lord and walked in his ways, when you acknowledge your need for a rescuer and a redeemer, when you place your faith in Jesus, who he is and what he's done, and confess that he is Lord, he is king, not you, God promises to save you from your sin and make you a new creation. What amazing grace, what glorious news. But that's not it. It doesn't stop there. When you place your faith in Jesus as King and Savior, He now enables you to do what He did, empowering you by the Holy Spirit to walk in the ways of God, to fear the Lord in your life now. See, the Bible, at the end of the day, it isn't interested in your belief in God. Lots of people, I would say most people, believe in God at some level. What it's interested in is how you respond to Him. The God that's revealed throughout the pages of this Bible, because the God of blessing that's revealed in the scriptures is a God to be revered, a God to be obeyed. So our question before us this morning in our lives is, will you follow him as such? Will you follow him as God and Savior, King and Lord? Or will you seek to put him in a box and manage him, accepting things sometimes and rejecting him often? And I ask that question of you, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, because that's always the question that's before us. Will we walk in the fear of the Lord? You will always be ruled by something. You will always be reigned over by something. Will it be your sin or will it be your Savior? Fearing the Lord and walking in his ways, it's not a reduction of who you are. It's not a squelching of your potential. It's an invitation to flourishing, to be who you were created to be, a restored image bearer of God, possible because of all Christ has accomplished for you. So friend, I implore you this morning, I implore you to come under the kind and kingly rule of our risen Savior today. In him is blessing now and forever. As we come to the communion table now, I hope that it will provide an opportunity for you to realize the greatness of our God. An opportunity to remind you that Jesus had to die for you. Your sin and rebellion was that awful, that heinous, that required the death of someone in your place for you. I hope it will provide an opportunity for you to see God's reconciling power. That through what Christ has done, you are able to be reconciled to your holy and almighty creator. That's how great your sin and my sin was and is. It deserves eternal wrath. But God made a way. So every time we partake of this meal, eating the bread, a picture of Jesus' body broken for us, and drink the cup, a picture of Jesus' blood shed for us, it's an opportunity to repent and it's an opportunity to rejoice. To repent for where you have not been fearing the Lord and walking in his ways. I invite you to do that this morning as you come forward. It's also an opportunity to rejoice because in this meal we're reminded that Jesus paid for all our sin and all our rebellion and enables you now to move forward in faith. 
So come forward this morning, brother and sister. Come in awe of the reality of who our God is and worship him for he has done great things for you. And for those of you that are not yet followers of Jesus, we're grateful that you're here this morning. We're grateful that God's brought you to gather together. I hope what's been communicated to you this morning is causing you to think, causing you to contemplate and think about your life and your position before God. And so right now we would ask you not to come forward to take communion because this meal doesn't mean anything for you right now. But instead, to hang in your seat think about what's been said this morning from God's word and to take Christ this morning, that you would turn away from your rebellion and turn to Jesus to save you. If you have questions about what it means to know Christ or follow him, let us know. That's why we're here as a community, as a church, is to help one another journey to Jesus. For those of you that will come forward, come to the tables at the front or the tables in the back. Tear off a piece of bread. Take a cup to drink. And what Christ has done for you will be spoken over you this morning. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning, even in this moment, are confronted with the reality of who you are. And God, I know in my own life, it can be so flippant about that, so flippant to say, yes, I believe in God. Yes, God is my God and my Savior and my King, but God, often my life does not illustrate that, that I give lip service to who you are. So God, I pray this morning that you would forgive me. I pray this morning that you'd forgive us where we have not feared you, God. We have not revered you in our lives. We have not been in awe of who you are. Whether that's in our families or our workplace or any other aspect of our life. God, would you forgive us? And God, in the midst of our forgiveness, would you rescue us and restore us? Would you enable us by your grace and the power given to us in Christ through the Holy Spirit? Would you help us to fear you in every aspect of our life and walk in your ways? We cannot do it on our own. So God, I give you thanks for this opportunity to be confronted with the reality of who you are, even for a few moments this morning. But I pray as we leave today that we would continue to reflect on and dwell on your greatness and grandeur. Help us to live lives of awe before you, striving to walk in your ways in all things. God, be glorified in us as we grow in awe of you. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.